0: With the official start of summer just a few days away, scientists say a mega drought across the western U.S. could get even worse. Millions of people in the state are now under new intense water restrictions.
1: All right, millions of
0: Southern Californians are now under new water restrictions amid the state's severe drought.
2: My name is Riggs Eckleberry, and I am the co founder of Origin Clear, which Um, is a company that is working hard to create innovative disruptive ventures in the water industry. We're essentially an innovation hub. So we have conventional water companies that we've created in the industrial space. We also have um, new financial vehicles to create water as a service, which is a whole new area. And um, we also have a division that there's nothing but modular water systems to get away from the, you know, custom water uh, equipment you know, the water industry is, in a way, very, very um, backward. Um, and so we have some technology that creates these water systems in a box, which is very exciting. And good evening, everyone. Welcome. And Tom Liakos, hello, everyone. And we're going to jump right into it. Every night, well... By now, the entire world knows because I keep telling everybody that my birthday was yesterday. And as I keep saying, I look marvelous for 99, don't I? Anyway, uh, it was a wonderful time and I want to thank everyone who did uh, wish me a great birthday. The the fun part was last week when I was uh, skiing in minus seven degrees um, conditions in Montana with my son. Uh, so, So wonderful. And of course, taking meetings while skiing, which is always fun. All right. This is Thursday, the February 9th, briefing number 197. And of course, the usual uh, disclaimers. Thank you, Brian, for the birthday wishes. All right. So what the heck's going on? Well, I thought I would just feature a couple of crazy graphs just because, hey, you know, we can laugh at some of this stuff, but look at this. Frozen concentrate orange juice futures. What the heck? Just freaking just took off out of nowhere now it's possible it's because we've had a cold snap in Florida, but this is kind of crazy. It's been going up for some time now, well, at the same time, um day before yesterday, Fed Chairman Jay Powell reversed his direction. He was going he was going down. he was talking the uh, the rates down, and then at when things like eggs and orange juice popped like like that, he Uh, reversed himself. And you saw how literally the markets went down and then back up in the same hour, practically. That was kind of crazy. So uh, we're now back to high rates um, because Fed Chairman Powell is trying to kill inflation. But here's what's going on, that look at the percentage of people planning to increase their equity exposure. We are down now at a super low level of less than a third of all investors plan to increase their equity exposure. And that's a, not a great sign for the stock market. The, the stock market is trying to have a bull market. I, I don't believe in it. I think it's um, it's an illusion. So, you know, that's why we keep saying that water is a great space because it's brand new. It's not, it's not exposed to all these crazinesses. Um, all right, so now let's take a look at another fun thing that we've been seeing. Uh, we've been seeing a lot of press lately about, Remember this, this was a few months ago when Nord Stream 2 pipeline got blown up. I'm not gonna get into who did it. That's not the function of this briefing, but um, one thing that it did do, (laughs) look at this. This was the natural gas imports into Europe um, in January of uh, 2021, that's two years ago. And of course, lots of cheap gas from Russia, small amount, uh, 1.1 billion cubic meters from, uh, this is, I guess, monthly, um, from the United States, all coming by ship via liquid natural gas. And then look at what happened here, December 2022. Hmm, interesting. All of a sudden, I notice the overall volume has dropped. Look, I mean, there's a tremendous amount more gas being provided back here, when, of course, Russia went almost to nothing, Norway went down, the US went way up. And in fact, US LNG added 37 billion uh, cubic meters in 2022, more than all other sources combined. And so sure enough, we're now, uh, Europe is now relying on assurances that the Biden administration will keep selling this expensive gas. And I just, if you're a man of the world or woman of the world, you recognize that so much um, is based on the amazing uh, relationship of petroleum to wars. So that's that part. Now, take a look at this. This is a desalination plant. Now, So I'm contrasting, basically, between, between the petroleum wars and what's happening in water. This is a desalination plant, Israel, that is feeding water into Jordan. One article, water for energy is better than land for peace. And just, just back to, okay, James, okay, now um, Ken just popped a note to me that um, James Wright, who is an unaccredited investor will be very interested in our ability to have an unaccredited offering. We are in the last stages of putting that offering together. Um, it's momentary; it's going to be up momentarily. So, stay tuned on that. Back to this story. I did the math here, and so the first um, desalination plant going straight through to Jordan from Israel uh, will fuel about two thirds of a million homes in Jordan. Jordan uses about Three hundred cubic meters per year per household, and um, that um, I apologize. That's actually people, and so that's that's uh, two thirds of a million people. So, um, which is a good start. But what I'm trying to say here is that uh, as global water use rises, we've seen an increase in global use. Um, freshwater withdrawals have tripled the last five years. Why? The growing world population people are getting less poor, they're drinking more water, they're eating things like beef and so forth, um, and uh, various uh, crops that require more water. And interestingly enough, people are um, creating with this biofuels thing, which is supposedly uh, climate-friendly, but it also requires a lot of water, up to to a thousand gallons of water or a single liter, a single quart of biofuel, and also energy demand is increasing. So what that means really is that um, as water demand increases, we have on the one hand the danger of having wars around water, but also the very strong benefit of peace coming about through water exchanges. And so I don't think that Israel and Jordan are going to war anytime soon if Israel is providing water to Jordan. All right. So here we go with an excerpt from a podcast I did with the fine gentleman, Morad Fiki. And of course, he's a realtor, has a real estate point of view. Let's see what he has to say and his conversation with me.
0: Yes, once again, February 2nd. I hope you're having a wonderful day, wonderful Thursday, and get, getting ready for the weekend. We're going to have a great time. I got a great guest here with us, Rick's Echolberry, and he's going to talk to us about water, investing in water, and the huge growth opportunities that presents itself. So let's dive right in. Hey, Rick, how's it going?
2: Well, it's such a pleasure, and I love your intro, man. You are like a jet set. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Thanks. I like to keep things exciting and you know just bring bring some flavor and creativity. For Sure. So, yeah. Let's dive right in. Tell us your story and how you got involved in, in investing in water and and uh, what is your plans for the future and there, and anything else you want to talk about.
2: Well, thank you, Murad. Well, the big picture on water is is that it's mostly governmental, right? This is kind of like the phone system before the br- breakup of AT and T, right? It's like it was all one big chunk. And when it broke up, it created a much larger industry, ultimately the internet, you know, so MCI, the baby bells, the internet, et cetera, et cetera. So breaking up these monopolies is very, very good for a particular sector. And if we're talking about water, Mm -hmm. um, we've kind of relied on the the government's gonna handle it. You know, they're gonna supply the water and then they're gonna clean it and it's all good. The problem is it's not all good right now, water is, um, we know this droughts all over the place, but in addition, a lot of the water isn't treated right, and the infrastructure, even in America, is not being maintained. In the U.S. alone, we're running about, currently, about $75 billion a year behind, and that's a lot of money. I mean, I realize there's inflation, but $75 billion is still a lot of money, and it's not being allocated, okay? Wow. So what's the solution? If you can't maintain something, then downsize. Yeah. Sorry. So the, the logical thing that is already happening is that businesses are are coming off the central system, doing their own water management, which saves them money. I can get into that. But this also reduces the load on the municipality, which can now serve people with their existing budgets. So it's a good thing for people because, frankly, a municipal water system is all about the people. It's not about you know making intel happy. It's about making you and me happy in our homes. So... Let's make sure that the people who it was intended for are served, and that's done by helping businesses do their own treatment and that 's our mission
0: Wow, and so how can someone get involved and in, in invest in these um, in these projects?
2: Well, of course, with this monopoly quote unquote it, it was it was very hard. You could buy a municipal bond maybe, or you could invest in one of the big water companies like Veolia but that's not direct investment in water projects uh think about the oil industry in 1980 apache corporation created the mlp the the, um which is basically a master limited partnership a bucket of oil properties which then investors could invest in today it's a it's a 300 plus billion dollar segment um and it coexists with big oil right big oil exxon still as big as it ever was but the mlps add a lot of uh, disposable capital to get projects done. And it's open to any investor. We aim to do the same thing with water, is to basically say, we call it water like an oil well. People can invest directly in a basket of water properties. And how is it uh, workable? Well, it's very simple. Those properties, those machines, are not sold to the uh, business user. They are put out there as a service, water as a service. so. We retain, uh, us and the investors, we retain ownership of these uh, water projects, remain our assets, and the the end user pays by the gallon. Uh, everything's becoming, you know, blah, blah as a service. Well, now it's water as a service. Okay.
0: And so you say there's a big shortfall in water, $75 billion shortfall. What do you mean by that?
2: Every year, that's the um, funding that is not happening to maintain. So you have, uh, the other side of that problem is that the operation and maintenance costs, the cost of maintaining the systems have been skyrocketing for years. Just like if you, if you got your old Toyota Corolla, you never maintain it. And you know, you keep throwing oil in, and, and it drains the oil. You keep throwing water in the radiator, and water keeps going out. And after a while it just gets worse and worse and worse. That's what's happening with the water systems. And it's we're seeing it show up in these problems that are happening in places like Flint, Michigan, um, you know, um, Compton, California, uh, Jackson, Mississippi, even uh, Miami-Dade County has problems. There's problems everywhere. They're just popping up. But there's a much bigger, that's like an iceberg, right? There's a much bigger part underneath. And it's dire. Um, I like to say that the water you're drinking from the tap, it won't kill you right away. In other words, it's sanitized. It's bleached. But it has a lot of bad stuff in it, and the municipalities would love to do something about it, but they don't have the funding. And so – and they're not going to get it for some crazy reason. Washington is just but, not excited But Joe all.
0: Biden passed an infrastructure bill.
2: Isn't $1.2 trillion, right? $1.2 trillion. Yeah. What was water? $55 billion. That was it. Wow. That's less than one year of shortfall. Mm -hmm. so 1.2 trillion dollars gets us 55 billion is
0: that that money actually going to go to water or is that a hoax
2: well the 55 billion is is definitely attributed mostly to replacing the lead pipes that we have in places like flint no no it's it's solid money but it's only 55 billion whereas every single year we fall behind by 75 so help is not coming here's the other issue Morad. i'm looking i'm here in pinellas county it's super built up where are we going to put a sewage plant not gonna happen, right? There's a real estate problem. And by the way, people don't love living next to a sewage plant. Mm-hmm. So where are you gonna put what it? Does and does what
0: sewage plant do exactly?
2: Well, it, okay, so your incoming water comes from either the groundwater or rivers or whatever, gets purified by the city and delivered to people. That's, that's the incoming water. Well, then the water gets used and goes out as sewage, right? Mm-hmm. And whether it's industrial waste or home waste, it then needs to be cleaned, and um, either either put it put it back in the groundwater or dump it back in the river, cleaned, or the ocean, or it could be recycled. But somewhere you got to clean that water, and that is something that people don't really want to have happen next door. Like I don't need somebody cleaning poop next door to me, right? So. Yeah. And the third problem is it takes years to build these massive central systems, whereas you can go out there and put a 300-square-foot unit in a brewery in a matter of, you know, three, four months, including all the permitting, whereas it's going to take 20 years to put up a central sewage plant. So we believe strongly that the future of water is decentralized, and that opens up the opportunity for investors to come in and go, okay... I'm going to get some royalty revenue from this machine being put in service, and the customer paying on the meter like he's used to. It's nothing new, right? We're all accustomed to paying for water on the meter, right? Mm-hmm. So the businesses will continue to pay on the meter. Everything's fine, and but this time instead of paying the municipality, they're paying uh, water on demand, which is the name of our project, and ultimately the investors who have a stake in it.
0: So is this is this system going into the depths of the earth? to where the streams are or where, where are we finding the water?
2: Okay. We're in, okay, there's three parts to the water management problem. The first part is the incoming water, which generally the cities do pretty well. I, I'm not proposing we go you know, do a whole water exploration thing. That, that's, that's not the m- most important problem. The yeah. second part is treating the wastewater, the stuff that comes out used. Okay, the third part is reuse where you reuse the water on your golf course, or maybe even for drinking, et cetera, right? Israel recycles 90% of its water, of its, of its wastewater. How much did the U- U.S. recycle? 1%. We throw, and, and we have these huge droughts, and we're throwing away all the water. What's up with that? It's crazy.
0: Only America. Only in America.
2: And the other thing that's going on is, listen to this, 90%, of the water of the freshwater demand is by industry and agriculture. Only 10% is individuals. Oh, so in California we're being told to have short showers and, you know, watch out the, uh, water in the lawn, et cetera, but we're more only 10% of the demand. What about the 90%, right? And so the, I think that corporate America is getting a, uh, getting a pass on it because they have the lobbyists, et cetera. It's a natural thing, but, What's what's amazing here is that when we present them with the solution, like, "Hey, you can do your own water treatment," they're like, "Oh," and you, and they look at the terms and go, "This is this works out well." Why? Because when I bring the water in, I re- use it w- more than once, and I don't have to pay for that water. I already got the water, right? So for a business, it works to put in a recycling plant on site.
0: They, How much?
2: Well, okay, so there's there's a. If you're talking about mid-range businesses, this is like a half a million dollars to two million dollars. But remember, they're not paying that. They're paying by the gallon, a certain amount of pennies, it's pennies per gallon, right? Um, and so it's a fully maintained system with all the expertise, fully outsourced, and you don't pay anything upfront, maybe for the, for a, you know, there's a, maybe an engineering study, but the actual capital uh, expense does not exist anymore, and we think that's the future. you know. Aquatech is becoming the hot new thing. I right? hear about it more and more. I'm here to tell you, Aquatech is the next hot thing because everything else has been, you know, kind of. So, how uh, do I
0: invest in this?
2: Very simple. My company Origin Clear is a public company, and we um, launch these ventures. And currently, we're launching Water on Demand, which is this way of bringing investors in water like an oil well. Go to OriginClear.com. There's a green Invest Now button. Click the Invest Now button. Has all the information and we will then talk to you. Uh, it, this says there's two classes of people that invest. Number one is accredited investors. Those are the guys who get the royalties. And we have a new offering just launching now for unaccredited investors where they get stock in the water on demand subsidiary. Either way, it's a win-win and you're contributing to this movement of improving water by getting businesses to do their part as opposed to squatting on the municipality. Is this water
0: drinkable?
2: It can be. When you treat your water, it depends on the, look, the more you have to treat it, Mm -hmm. the more expensive it gets, right? If I say, oh, I'm going to make potable water from wastewater, that's a big lift. So typically, people go, well, I'll reuse it for uh, washdowns or for irrigation or for, you know, things that don't require drinking water. Mm -hmm. So... You can but here's the problem with with reusing wastewater is it people don't like it. it they, they've called it toilet to tap. Well, you say toilet to tap, how attractive is that right so so the reality is that most recycling is going to be done for non-drinking purposes only because of public um, oh, perception and also cost. you You treat it to the level where it won't it, it's good enough for your lawn, basically.
0: Do I still want a water softener?
2: Okay, now let's talk about incoming water. I believe that all tap water requires purification. And we're not, to be clear, we're not addressing the incoming water. We can advise you, and we have a. We were working with um, a premium hotel chain that has decided to put purified water throughout their hotels. Bang. Mm-hmm. So that everything, not just that bottle on the dresser. We're talking about the shower, the kitchen, everything will have purified water. So we do deliver that. And... If you, if, if I'm talking to you as a homeowner or home renter, you should get um, get something. Get get a Brita pitcher. Do something, right? Because the tap water is not going to get any better. <clears throat> uh, the best is, in my opinion, to get one of those under sink systems with the reverse osmosis. That's very good, and then um, sort of a general a filtration system for your whole home.
0: So you're gonna you're gonna install one of these systems per business.
2: Correct. That is it. Just like how, you remember back in the day, you're you're, you're too young to know, but I was in the day when when we had mainframes and mainframes are highly efficient for themselves. And then the idea, wait a minute, we're going to build a million PCs. Those PCs are going to be, that's that's overkill. They, They don't need all that capacity. Turns out it's more efficient. Why? Because the PC is serving the user, whereas the mainframe is serving itself. The mainframe is there only like if you centralize things, things actually become less efficient. That's kind of what we've learned in the last 20, 30, 40 years, which is that decentralization is more efficient. Why? Because it's more adaptable. If if Morad wants to sit on his computer and really, really bang on it and get a lot of use out of it, he can. But if, if he wants to leave it idle and go off for a week, that's okay too. But with a central system, he'd have to like schedule everything and make sure that he was in line and had the queuing and all that. So we strongly um, we see this as a trend. Water decentralization is happening and we are accelerating it by providing capital free solutions to businesses and rewarding the investors for being part of it.
0: Fantastic. Any final thoughts as we wrap up? All
2: right. Just remember that at the end of the day, it's about social justice for the people. We want people to be healthy, which means assist the businesses to get off the central system. Now the cities can start focusing on the people who deserve the best water possible.
0: Would this work for single family homes?
2: It will. We're not currently in that space only because it's it's a mass market. Um, there's some very good vendors. For example, uh, Fuji Water has a very good system, but it's early still. It, it, it's, it's a lot of expense and um, it's it's not the time yet. We, we need to focus... Since 90% of the demand is businesses, well, let's focus on them first, right? That's yeah. what we're doing.
0: Yeah. Well, hey, I appreciate your time. This was great. This was a great interview. Uh, thank you for enlightening all of us. We'll be looking forward to water on demand. And if there's anything I can do for you, please let me know.
2: All right. It's a pleasure. Let's check in in six months and I'll tell you how it went.
0: Okay. okay. I'll look forward to it. <laughs> Thanks, Jack. Thank you, sir. Hope you all enjoyed that for explosive growth. That was a great session with Riggs Eckleberry. And we'll see you here next time. Same bad time, same bad place. Can't wait to see you.
2: Mr. Houston, Texas. That was a fun guy. But, you know, this is very interesting because a lot of people are not aware that water has to be cleaned. It's like, and, and this is, I think, the problem with funding of water projects. Remember, politicians, they work on what people want in the end, right? What the voters want. And it's clear that there's just not a lot of awareness of the need to make water clean. But that's... That's what, you know, those creates those those diarrhea cases, you know, they kill 5,000 kids a day and all those stats. And it's handled by taking it private because it is a huge market. It is, after all, a $5 trillion implied market that is only generating $1 trillion. So um, I thought that was really, really interesting. And uh, let me get get somebody who's, I think, who is... um, More, I think more focused, my challenge with the team, which has been how to disrupt um, a slow moving industry. So this was a short clip. Um, It's only three parts, so very, very interesting. All right, Mr. Andrew Frazier. Good evening
1: and welcome back to Leadership Live at 8.05. I'm your host, Andrew Frazier, and excited to be hanging out with you. I'm passionate about small business. My goal is to help one million and eight small business owners to grow their revenue, increase their profitability and obtain financing by 2028. So it's a million eight by 2028. Looking forward to a great guest, a great show. We're gonna talk about something really important to you as a business owner. businesses is competitive and becoming more competitive than that. So one of the key things is to keep your product offering and your service offerings ahead of the pack you know you have to be creative flexible and proactive so we're going to talk about disruption and um, you know some of the keys to being the disrupt disruptor rather than the disruptee so I'm excited about our guest Riggs Eckleberry and he's definitely a disrupter um, an entrepreneur doing great stuff hey Riggs how you doing tonight
2: Andrew, it's such a pleasure to be on board, and I love your goal, a million eight by 2028. I love that.
1: Yep, yep. And um, so definitely looking forward to that. Appreciate you taking time out of your busy schedule to come hang out and share your experience and expertise with um, small business owners. You know, you've done so many things that I can't really give that justice, so, you know, what I want you to do is take a few minutes to really chat a little bit about your journey. Uh, I know you've had several businesses and been in different industries. You know, it'd be great to sort of give people some perspective on, you know, what you've done, where you've been, some key lessons learned, and then we'll dig into it even further um, throughout the show. Fair
2: enough? I love it, I love it. Well, Andrew, thank you very much for the opportunity. So, my upbringing really was in the sort of international area. My dad was um, Procter and Gamble, country manager. So we went from country to country in the 50s and 60s. I was born in Canada. We went to Puerto Rico, Venezuela, Paris, and eventually Brussels and back to Paris. And um, he, I look at that, That you remember the show Mad Men? Well, he, my dad was that, that you know, John Hamm, with, uh, you know, some of the flaws as well, but also some of that amazing facility. Uh, he he could, an American in Europe in the 50s, could literally meet with anyone, head of state, it didn't matter, and tremendous um, sense of projection, and I, I got a lot of that from him. He eventually sent me to, to school in the States, and that, um, well, frankly, it was a culture shock, complete culture shock. Out of that, I formed my first goal, which was really to um, work in the nonprofit space to "quote unquote" change the world. And for about 10 years, I worked for you know no money at all and um, you know, 80 hours a week, no money at all, and it was very rewarding. It Came out of that experience in the early 80s, and aside from you know working in nonprofits, et cetera, um, I really felt that the world was on the verge of major disruption, and the 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 disruptor was technology. Uh, So I ended up in New York City in the 80s, helping to computerize businesses for the first time that were still operating on those old safeguard ledgers, you know, um, bear down hard because it's a carbon copy kind of thing, and moving them into the early, uh, what we call super microcomputers and um, networked PCs and so forth. And uh, learned a lot from that, Uh, learned that you do not want to be undercapitalized, that's If you're going to try something ambitious, make sure that you have the resources to do it. That led inevitably to the early 90s with the dot-com. And that's really where I found my most joyous time because computers were now being used not just to calculate, but to communicate. And we've seen the world has changed in so many ways since then. Um, I mean, I, I even look back at, you know, 10 years ago, five years ago, how things different things were. Um, so here we are, uh, fast forward through the year 2000, I had a series of wins, sold companies, the usual thing, past 2000. Eventually I got to be a CEO, but surprise, surprise, I was handed a non-tech situation. The company that m- I, I managed to convince some good friends of ours, of mine who were, who back companies, that I could be a CEO, and uh, I got the, the good part is you get to be a CEO. The bad part is you get to be a CEO, right? Um, so all of a sudden there I was, and um, infinite adaptation is what it's all about. We started the company originally called Origin Oil because we were a pioneer in using algae as, an, as a petroleum, as as oil, and so it was the original oil. And I had the best time, I was on all the, the top news shows, et cetera, um, because, you know, who knew, wow, algae. You know, um, I was called I was called algae man on Fox Business News and so forth. But the problem is that uh, the floor fell out of the algae industry for biofuels when uh, fracking destroyed the price of crude. And as a result, it just became a science experiment. And here's where I really, I had learned the lesson by then to not give up, but instead to pivot. And so we pivoted the company into water. Now, disruption is hard, but at least in high tech, it's expected. You disrupt, you move fast, you break things up, you have it, it, things change at the speed of light. Not so in the water industry. The water industry is very governmental and um, slow moving in part because of public health but also because weirdly enough it doesn't have enough funding to do its job properly and so I spent a number of years trying to sort of figure out well, how do I find the disruption point and I'm happy to say I eventually did and here we are today.
1: Definitely you had a really exciting um, journey and um, you know international experience is great, I've done some traveling and, and you know, work with people internationally, but um, it just brings out a whole different dimension in, in your level of perspective and knowledge. What would you say is the most valuable thing you've learned from working internationally?
2: You know, the strength of America is that we are unified and integrated. It's also its weakness because we're not very aware of other cultures as much. The cultures come into us and they're expected to integrate with us. Well, you learn when you go abroad to Greece or to um, you know Germany or whatever, that you're expected to integrate with them, right? You're, you're how, we've heard about the ugly American, right? Um, growing, in, growing up in Paris, me and my brothers would would walk 50 yards ahead of our American parents. Like, please, I don't want to be anywhere close to those loudmouth American parents. We wanted to blend in. And so you learn, really, that there are so many other viewpoints and worlds out there, and uh, it's humbling. It's humbling, and I, I think that you-, you understand that while America is an amazing thing, it's not the only thing.
1: No, 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 definitely, definitely. Um, you know, I traveled to South Africa, Mm. And it was kind of interesting because because I wasn't black anymore, <laughs> I, I was colored, and, oh, wow. um, so it's a whole different <laughs> um, perspective. So um, so yeah, what, was
2: that pre apartheid or after?
1: That was after. That was around two thousand. Um, but yeah, no, definitely. I guess just you know the different definitions, different perspectives. So wow, um, so fascinating, kind kind of interesting. We're gonna jump into disruption. Tech, you know, is always expected to be disrupted and continually disrupted. Um, But this disruption is really moving to most industries. And, um, you know, if you're not the disruptor, you're the disruptor. And, you know, there's one position that's much better than the other. So as a small business owner, um, you know, it's important to sort of understand that. And um want to really talk to Riggs about, you know, how do you even, well, let's start with the first obvious thing, uh, 101. What does it mean to disrupt? And what is disruption?
2: Yes, that's a fascinating thing. And um, uh, it, it, I was, as you were talking, I was thinking back to year 2000, which for tech was was a massive um, <laughs> extinction event, you might say, where, you know, a lot of coms met their, their um, well-deserved end. And one of the things that happened for me as a marketer was that during the 90s, I had budgets to survey things ahead of time and really do a lot of research. After 2000, those budgets went away. But by necessity, I had to find a better way to find success with marketing, with, with, uh, with business, and I eventually branded that as something called mistake-based marketing. A mistake-based marketing basically says i'm going to consciously try things out and look for failure but quickly remedy you know, fail, as i say fail early fail often right so um and by the way that's one of the big differences between american culture business culture and european business culture where a failure for example for a german entrepreneur is not an option right so in america we are and we are we are permitted to fail the key is to fail while learning rapidly. So I applied the same thing to the water industry. It it was truly painful, but it, I think it works very well, which is try things, try things, try things. Don't be afraid of trying them, but be willing to kill the things that don't work or adapt them or come up with a better idea rapidly. And don't own your failures. You know, Don't like bear down harder, like, you know, I'm sure I'm right. I'm sure I'm right, and before you know it, you've sunk deep into it.
1: So, so you you almost could be uh, take a little bit of credit for lean,
2: lean, lean manufacturing. Yeah. Absolutely, of course, hundred yeah. yeah. percent. So, um, so yeah, and agile, and agile development, all those yeah. philosophies, Scrum. Mm-hmm. These these are all um, in the programming world. They realized that the the problem was that one one developer is very very efficient. Every right. time you add another developer, you become more, more, less and less efficient. And so then they came up with the whole agile development and, as you say, lean manufacturing as ways to rapidly adapt to what what works and what doesn't. And that actually uh, fixed a lot of the problems inherent in a group enterprise. Absolutely.
1: Yeah. No, no. Actually, my wife's in technology. So she, she does. She did the original, uh, you know, Waterfall and, and and she's doing agile. She's actually bringing agile to her new company. Wow so, um,
2: fascinating!
1: a you Yeah, know, it's, it's exciting and Then um, it works, you know, and because you know, like you said the speed of change gets faster and faster and you know, if you're not Keeping up with it and keeping your requirements and your your, your tools updated, you know, it's difficult one thing you said in the beginning was, you know, if you're disrupting, you don't want to be undercapitalized. Mm-hmm. However, most small businesses are undercapitalized. So how can we work through that? Or what, what would you recommend or how, you know, as far as? Um...
2: Well, okay, so Peter Thiel talks about, are you doing a one plus one business or a zero plus one, right? zero plus one is from nothing to something and that's very very challenging and that's where capital is super important one plus one is you're simply um, doing a better job of an existing model for example you start an amazon business and by now we really know how to build amazon businesses and you need to follow the successful um, methods and then do better but from day 1 you can be uh, making money and do well because it's it's a well-trod path. So that's I totally believe that you know it's well worth doing. Now, if you get into the 0 to 1 thing, that's a different challenge altogether. Let's take my experience in the 80s which was a my god it was a learning experience because I actually ended up giving away that business to my best salesman because I got discouraged. What I didn't realize was I was computerizing businesses for the first time and it was Unbelievably painful. I, I could charge money, but I, I could never charge enough to really make it worth its while. What I didn't realize was all the money was in the long-term relationship. Once you get a computer customer, as you know, you're the you're the IT shop for 20 years if you do a good job. 25 years. I was talking to Juan, the, the guy I gave the business to the other day, and he said, I still have businesses that you and I acquired in the 80s, they're still customers today. Think about the life cycle value of that customer. And so it pays off that you, you know, did their sort of virgin experience and you, you broke them into it and educated them and it was painful and hard. And then you get to have the, the relationship, which is where it pays off. And so it's important to find, um, where the money is and what you're doing. Um, and so it was an incredibly valuable business. I didn't fully realize how valuable it was at the time. Juan realized it eventually and and he's made millions off of this business that I created in the 80s and all the more power to him because he understood that. So I think of all the things to remember is that the long-term revenue of a business, the annuity value, the recurring revenue, is the most important thing you, you can think about because your marketing expense is usually very, very high creating new customers is very high, and a lot of businesses lose their customers where they could follow up with them. You know, I had, um, my blinds are up, but you know, I have these motorized blinds, and the the company sold me the motorized blinds and went away. Like, well, they could sell me other stuff in this condo, I mean, there's a bunch of other things they could think of, but, and I like them, but they went away. And so, you gotta think about how do you continue to monetize the customer relationship that you've spent so much money creating?
1: Great explanation and answers and examples. Um, you know, being able to take and self-finance and try things uh, to disrupt is still a path that we can take even if we don't have external financing. You, If you have the right mindset, you may be a better disruptor. You really fully really understand exactly what's going on in your industry and can potentially see where the challenges and where are the opportunities
2: I'm I'm in a capital-intensive business because what we're trying to do is revolutionize the water industry. And um, we're enabling investors to invest directly in the new generation of localized on-site water treatment systems. And that's very exciting because we're literally in the business of, of raising capital to be put into these assets that generate income and um, i tell you that investors love it i mean yeah it works like an oil well but it's not oil it's water how cool is that right so the important thing about if you're going to go for capital is how to make the capital pay off and not just cover your burn but actually uh, create investing opportunities that that drive people into good strong asset uh, portfolios okay
1: excellent and you know, you, you said a little bit about what you're doing. You know, my understanding, and make sure that I have it correct, is that what you're really doing is enabling businesses to really be self-sufficient with their own water in terms of treatment and, and everything, um, which, you know, one, creates more water for everyone else, and... Um, and also businesses use probably what, 90% of all the water. So, um, you know, it's the market can be really big. So is that right? Did I miss anything?
2: No, you're, that was very well said. Uh, so here, here's the problem we have is that we think of water as being supplied and treated by the government, you know, municipalities, counties, water districts, et cetera. Um, but the problem is they're underfunded for some reason. Um, you know, the federal, the state, all the way down to the counties and cities do not allocate enough money to properly treat the central systems. And as you say, 90% of the freshwater demand is by industry and agriculture, leaving only 10% for uh, you and me. But municipalities exist to help you and me, not businesses. So how is it that industry is crowding out the individual consumer? And I believe very strongly that if you're not going to fund the centralized water system, then reduce the load. That's the other solution, right? So to re- by reducing the load, uh, we're letting businesses uh, do their own water treatment. We become their their municipality, their utility, right? And they pay us on the meter. Uh, they're very happy. Why? Because they're able to be much more efficient with water treatment by recycling it themselves. and So they don't have to pay for it. Um, if I get two or three turns out of the water, well, I'm not paying for that water each time and it's a very a good experience for the, for the company and it removes the burden from the city and now the city can start helping the people and I don't know if you've noticed, but we've had some pretty bad experiences recently, Flint, Michigan, Compton, California, um, Jackson, Mississippi. Notice that it happens a lot with poor neighborhoods and mm-hmm. that's a scandal. Because they're at the very tail end of the, of, the, of, of, the, of the process, and they get the worst water. Well, I think we all should have good water. Tap water, we, I, we should not have to be, be installing filters in every home. What's that all about? The water itself should be what you and I drank when we were kids. We drank from the tap, right? Um, well, me for sure. You're much younger than I am, but still... Water we thought of was not not something impure. Today we we are, we've been schooled that you know we can't drink the water. Well, I would like to do something about that. And so, our mission is to make it easy for businesses to do their own water treatment. This uh, new thing is called Aquatech. Aquatech's hot. All of a sudden, Aquatech is the latest thing. And by the way, the. Um, the world of investing and in, in finance needs something new because they've blown through high tech, they've blown through biotech, they've, they, all these different spaces are just stumbling, oil's in trouble because, primarily because of politics. Um, and so here we are left with, oh wow, water, new space is coming out of the government. And as you know, anytime that a government monopoly breaks up, like uh, AT&T broke up, it creates a vastly larger market through um, freeing of, of initiative and disruption. You know, you can even say the internet came out of the at t breakup ultimately, right? Mm-hmm. So we have a similar breakup going on in water. is leading to this hot new space called AquaTech, but people at AquaTech are complaining that the end users, the businesses, don't have capital. So we realized we could be the ones doing this. So our disruption is called water on demand and enables um, Andrew, if you have, let's say, uh, a, you know, a bottling plant and you use a lot of water, and we're going to let you have a water system for your bottling plant, and don't pay for the, don't pay the capital expense. You might have a you know ten thousand dollar engineering fee, but you're not going to spend uh, half a million dollars or a million dollars for that machine up front. Instead, you'll pay by the gallon. And by the way, you won't even have to maintain that system. We'll take care of that too. Well. That's very attractive for a business owner because you, Andrew, are much more interested in your bottling business than in treating the water. Mm -hmm. So we we enable you to just get rid of that problem and, as I was saying, benefit from recycling. And when you recycle, the whole world benefits. It's a scandal that America only recycles one percent of its water, whereas Israel recycles almost 90 percent. Why is that? It's primarily because we have a much more antiquated water system that was only built with one direction in mind. Comes from the source, use it, treat it, and dump it. Well, how about use it, treat it, reuse it a couple times, and eventually send it t- into the ground or whatever. So that the more we recycle, we have these you know big droughts happening, and meanwhile we're just being throwing the water the water into the ocean. Um, Every time every time California gets a big, snowy year like it is getting this year, we get, yeah, it's great, but you know what? Most of it's going to go into the ocean when it melts. Well, hello, right? Come on. So recycling is key. We're enabling that to happen. Businesses love it, and we're creating a much larger market as a result. And th- th- really... The capital side is super important. Investors can invest in water like an oil well, as like we say, but also we have a technology to miniaturize and modularize these water systems so they can fit in that beverage plant. Those are the two parts, the technology and the finance. So I thought that uh, Andrew was a smart business-oriented guy and uh, I think that he actually paid a little bit more attention to this, than the real estate guy just just saying. I think that's how it was. With so. that, I am going to
3: initiate Ray Willing discussion. Yeah, no, I I, I would say, um, he, yeah, he 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 paid attention quite a bit. Uh, and he he, I think he also intuitively kind of understood. Um, there I am. Uh, he intuitively understood. I think the model a little bit. The fact that he came up with ninety percent kind of randomly. Was pretty surprising. Um, couple couple notes I took during during your conversation with him. You mentioned, um, you know, the zero to one business and the one to and the one the zero plus one and, and one plus one. Um, what's very interesting about us is is in theory, we're a zero plus one business. It's never been done before, but we have this incredibly beautifully well worn path. Uh, of having all of these other companies spend billions failing in FinTech, figuring out what we shouldn't have to do wrong, right? So um, the benefit of of, of years and years of Amazon and all these other companies, you know, kind of fumbling along and like you said, failing quickly, failing early, failing often, and then getting it right. So we're kind of able to enter that space now as a zero plus one business but with a I and mean, of course there's still going to be a lot of things where we go okay bad idea right you think <laughs> we did we did one like or two last week um, and and the week's not over so in re, in re, in reality the big like in other words there's going to be a certain amount of unforced errors but we the the number of them the concentration of them can be dramatically reduced because a whole section of our business model has already been well thought through um, and experimented on, and success, uh, successfully executed, not on our dime, right, uh, on on their dime, which 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 I thought was good. Also, you mentioned about um, the marketing costs being very very expensive, and the annuitized business. Um, I would have to say that. Um, our water assets are probably the definition of an annuitized, you know, of an annuitized model, right? It's it's, it's a long tail. It's a long tail, absolutely. It's not just the long tail; it's the asset ownership. Right. I say to people, how big would Airbnb be if they owned all the real estate they rented? That's, in a in a way, kind of what the 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 loose potential is. For these, the ownership of these uh, of these assets, you know, not tomorrow, not next month, but a decade from now.
2: Well, okay. Now, Airbnb relies on offloading, for example, hotel ownership. Uber relies on offloading car ownership. Water demand relies on offloading investment. Right. In other words, we're not we are not doing all the investment ourselves. We're welcoming investors in. So it's important to recognize that the things you do not do right, that you leverage existing resources. Airbnb is brilliant because all the hotel, quote unquote, hotel uh, square footage was
3: already out there. It was just private homes. Right, right? And, and it was and a lot, and it was often too too often, too frequently vacant. So this like, was um, almost, it was the remnant space, you know, in advertising, it was the remnant space for, for hospitality. And so- He says OPM, and that's right. It, it is about, look- That's what it was. Okay. No. Go ahead. Go ahead. Uh, now, thank you, Gene. All right. Go ahead. Go ahead. No. Go ahead. Speak. Okay. Um, the uh, I, I often describe to, to 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 investors or prospects, you know, our growing manufacturing business tripled last year. Okay, great. And if it doubles this year, next year, and every year for the next ten years, it couldn't accomplish a tiny, tiny, tiny fraction of impacting the market because the market is so massive. But with worldwide capital deploying not to us, but we are the conduit to all these. What do what do 100,000 water treatment manufacturers all have in common? 80% of their clients are going. I don't have any idea where I'm going to get the money. I don't have any idea where I'm going to get the money. Right. So literally, but and and so you have you have capital. Um, remember our friend. We had a conversation with our friend the other night, and he said, "So I've got money." You've got a need for money. I want to make money with what you have. is a need. It, it basically it's the same thing. It's a very it's an elegant, ultrafied, ultra simplified equation. That there's so much capital out there that really wants to find an asset based home, an asset based home that hasn't been, you know, stomped all over, right? You know, kind of, in other words, already kind of grown to where it's very, you know, it's very slow. Um, and, you know, fits and starts in the global market have this traumatic effect on it, you know, like interest rates and things like that. So um, you have all this capital that's seeking asset, you know, a home for a good, steady asset, but still has that, you know, Apple in 1984 type thing. Right. Yeah, and, yeah. and what that does is that actually satisfies the massive capital need that these end users have. We're transferring investment capital from investors who are primarily our current investors are small business owners, entrepreneurs. You're transferring their investment capital through this conduit of Water On Demand and distributing it to small business owners. Very true. Right, through through, through a private micro-utility. Um, you know, I never actually thought about it that way till now. So okay. I'm hoping we're recording this because that was actually kind of cool and I want to remember it.
2: Exactly, well, you know, um, we, we were all like, in the middle of the night. Oh I gotta write that down. But um, uh, the other thought I had was that you know Facebook was not the first social media network. The first one, of course, was MySpace, and Facebook did it better. Um, we're not. This is not the first time water as a service is being done. In fact, it was trademarked by someone else. What's different? What's different is we're leveraging everyday investors. That's the difference, and that makes us so. It's always good to not invent everything, right? Mm-hmm. You don't want to invent all the thing. You want to invent one thing, right. and two in our case. One is that uh, the modular t- water technology, which is essential, and number two is this way to water like an oil well.
3: But it doesn't and matter, even if you, even if you, even if you build the greatest technology in the world, right now. There will be a faster chip. There will be a better mousetrap. There will be a faster engine. There will be a more fuel efficient car or engine. In other words, you're having to fight every moment for that, you know, chip speed dominance, right? That's what, that's a bummer. Okay. Our model actually allows for all of these folks to innovate like crazy and become better and better and better. And the better them, and the better they get the better our model gets. It actually helps our model. We don't lose market share. We gain it,
2: right? Right. There's a Latin saying, sine qua non, if we didn't have it then, right? In other words, we are, modular water systems is the envelope technology that permits all those innovations to to occur. Mm -hmm. So we're, we're basically hosting two major things. We're hosting people's technologies and we're hosting people's capital deployed for these water service things. So what I'm trying to say here is the more you host things and not trying to do it themselves, the faster you go, the more you can scale. The third thing we're hosting is we're not trying to do all the building of the systems ourselves in the long run, short term, yes. And we, as a result, are gonna be able to scale this business. So there's three ways. And with that, I must say that we arrived at 901. We're turning into pumpkins, I know. But this is fascinating. It's uh, it's really, really interesting. And I'm glad I had a conversation with Andrew Frazier to uh, kind of nail it down a little bit. Um, I wanna thank everyone. So uh, what's coming up next week, I am back in New York. I'm gonna uh, make the trip myself the week after next, uh, sorry, the month after next, I'm gonna bring Dan Early up, Roger Water Systems, he's gonna be in Wall Street, it's gonna be great. He's gonna be talking up on Wall Street, it's gonna be great. And uh, so what uh, you'll continue to get is reports from, from the NASDAQ market site, which is kind of cool, while we continue to uh, ramp things up. And as I'm saying, um this regulation a thing um which is the unaccredited investor offering is so cool because you'll have direct ownership
3: of one on demand without having to be accredited. And Riggs keeps thinking I'm talking about the other thing. I'm not talking about the other thing. The other thing. The other thing. You know the other thing. <laughs> you know the thing, right? No, I am talking about because because you know poor James has been so patient. He's like, you know, are we there yet? Are we there yet? Right? And and, and you know we were finally, you know, we're finally well, I mean, we're, James, we're, we're right there.
2: We're right like there. right around the block. No, it's like, it's like minor, tiny legal things. It's driving us crazy. Okay. Um, if you want about to hear about the thing, then you need to talk to Ken directly, oc.go. slash Ken, uh, for the, for the time being, please be accredited, but that will change soon. So everyone, I wanted to and thank you. have for- an entire staff of people to, f- to speak to those who, who uh, are your people. I have your people. I have people people and you're going to award them coffee if they perform only if they because coffee is
3: only for closers exactly okay
2: thank you mr alec baldwin and don't shoot at me
3: Right. <laughs> <laughs> don't don't do don't do a film with me we'll be fine amen all
2: right, all right. you know this watch this watch is worth yeah, more, costs than, more than your car exactly <laughs> thank you very much everyone uh and see you next week it's going to be another excellent uh briefing have a good night all right.